Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. My name is Paul Rowley. I'm your host for this evening's show. Tonight, we are talking about guns and family. Keeping guns out of the family. And what to do when you're confronted with family members who are gun owners or gun stockpilers, as many gun owners are. We're going to start this evening's show, though, with a very special In Memoriam. As our regular listeners know, we have an In Memoriam every week to honour a life lost to gun violence. And this one, I have to say, personally, I've found particularly moving because it comes from an email that we received just yesterday from a woman in Las Vegas, Nevada, called Veronica Melton. This is what Veronica mailed us. My name is Veronica Melton. I am the mother of Giovanni. Here is my son's story. On November 2017, my ex-husband, Giovanni's father, was called by the school notifying him that Giovanni had not shown up in class. Wendell, my ex-husband, went to the apartment and began screaming at Giovanni. Then a loud gunshot was heard by the neighbours. Giovanni was shot in the chest by his own father and died. When my son died, I died. I died that day. My heart was broken. Wendell reported to the police that it was self-defence. But Giovanni was a 5 foot 5, 125 pound 14 year old boy. Wendell was a 6 foot 1, 230 pound man armed with an illegal gun. He had previously been charged with domestic battery against his ex-wife Veronica and he was not allowed to own a gun but not only did he illegally own one gun he owned six. In court Wendell has claimed Giovanni's death was an accident that an argument got physical and he didn't mean to pull the trigger but Veronica says she believes Wendell was unwilling to accept Giovanni's identity as a gay man. When I was married to him, he would make very disparaging remarks against people that were gay. And to me, I know he was homophobic, she said. She said that Giovanni came out to her two months before his death. And she believes that he told his father around the same time. Close to the time of his death, his father had also threatened Giovanni with a gun in a separate incident after catching him with his boyfriend. Neighbours also came forward to news channels stating that his father would always chastise him about being gay so loudly that they would hear it. But Nevada courts have declined to prosecute this with a hate crime enhancement. Giovanni's father's trial was recently postponed again until 2021 while he has posted bail and is under house arrest, not in jail where Giovanni's mother believes he should be. So Veronica, if you're listening in this evening, I just want to send such heartfelt deeply heartfelt condolences to you for the loss of your beautiful son thank you so much for getting in touch with us i just hope that this comes to a resolution for you in some way soon i can't believe they're dragging this trial out so long and making you go through this over several years know that you're always in our thoughts and we hold your son's memory here For our listeners who want to find out more about Giovanni, you can go to GiovanniMelton.org. And if any of our listeners have somebody that they would like to be memorialised here on Radio Gag, 
please reach out to us via email. That's gagsignup at gmail.com. G-A-G-S-I-G-N-U-P at gmail. And we would be honoured to talk to you about that. In Nevada, background checks are now law as of 2019. They were not in 2017 when Giovanna was murdered. And as we know, over 90% of the American public supports background checks for all gun sales. The House of Representatives passed Bill HR8, which approves federal background checks back in February of last year, but that has been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk ever since, who is refusing to bring it to the Senate floor. One thing that I found in my research for this show was that the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, which is used to see if you are, you know, if you are a domestic abuser, if you have a history of violent crime, the reasons that you should not have a gun, the amount of time it takes to process that request, 107 seconds, less than two minutes. That's all it takes. But although background checks do help stem the flow of guns, for example, states without background check laws export crime guns across state lines at a 30% higher rate than states that do require background checks. It's only part of the answer, because in a culture that permits the carrying of weapons by citizens, and a country which supports a thriving weapons manufacturing industry that works to maximise profit for its shareholders, the number of guns is only going to continue to increase unless things change radically. We now have more guns in the USA than people. Laws only work to partly stop this violence. Nine out of the ten guns used in New York City in crimes are smuggled into the state illegally. Take a listen to this PSA that was put together this week around the issue of illegal guns being trafficked. Now for breaking news. Today's report out of New York City where advocates demand an end to gun trafficking. Interstate 95, also known as the Iron Pipeline, is the route guns travel to New York from states with weaker gun laws. The Iron Pipeline funnels nearly 9 out of 10 illegal guns into New York. More guns equals more death. Over 150 New Yorkers have been killed since June. These are our neighbors, our family members, even babies in strollers, like one-year-old Deval Gardner, shot dead at a family cookout in Brooklyn. The unbelievable 200% increase in gun deaths this summer means only one thing. The pressure is on elected officials to steer us out of danger. Require universal background checks, close the gun show loophole, and make gun trafficking a federal crime. Stop gun trafficking, destroy the iron pipeline, and gun violence. So a lot of the time with laws failing us, our government failing us, it falls on us as individuals and as communities to try and stop gun violence. We've heard on the show many times in the past about violence interrupters, people who try and stop a violent situation escalating before it turns deadly. Local community groups who are doing this work. And you can check out any of our past shows on podcast to hear more about that. This week we have a special report on how you deal with guns in the family. What happens? How do you start the conversation? What happens when there's guns in the house and somebody else in the family wants it? 
So I spoke this week with Dana Harari, who is actually a good friend of mine, a Gays Against Guns member. And Dana is going to tell us a little bit about what she's been going through this week with her family. I'm Dana. I am a parent, a teacher, social worker. I'm also a member of Sing Out Louise, which is part of Gays Against Guns. I'm here in South Florida with my family, well, from New York, but down here to help take care of some family members during COVID. I know the reason we invited you on the show this evening is I know because of part of the process of dealing with helping family during COVID, you've had really encountered some issues around gun violence, around guns, ownership of guns, and tell our listeners, you know, what you've been experiencing um, in relation to the family and, and guns. Yeah, so most recently, one of our, my uncle was put into hospice. And just before that time, we were out to lunch, my mom, myself, my cousin, and my aunt, who had you know, has her husband in in hospital and in care. And she was talking about, you know, how is she going to live without him? How is she going to deal? What was she going to do with all of his things? And then she very casually said, you know, the Uzi I know my son will want. And I didn't panic, but it did, it did start the conversation. Why would he have an Uzi? You know, what, why would my cousin want an Uzi? And my aunt said, oh, well, you know, why shouldn't he have it? And I said, Uzis are killing machines. You know, there's no reason for him to have something like that. And, you know, you can safely surrender any guns that, are, that my uncle had to the, to the authorities. It's, it's actually really easy. Being a part of GAG, we often call on the victims and families of gun violence and we use their names and we take their stories in an effort to come up with our own actions to fight against these gun laws to make them to get them off our streets and so you know one of the first things i did coming down to south florida was make time to visit parkland and marjorie stoneman and just the timing was just so interesting because i had just come back from from parkland from visiting with Patty and Manuel Oliver, um, and you know they lost their child they to guns. Joaquin, yeah, Joaquin was seventeen. He was seventeen, and here I am at lunch with my aunt and my mom and my cousin, and we're they're talking about handing over very casually this this Uzi, and I thought, you know, this was this was the time to talk about it, and I showed them pictures of me and Patty, and I showed you know because we had just been together, and yeah. I said this is the reason why we need to be able to to talk about this and get this, like, get these guns out of your house. And my aunt was like, absolutely, let's do it. Okay, great, great. So what is the process if, you know, if you want to get rid of an Uzi from somebody's house? Did you call, I mean, I kind of believe I'm even saying that. I mean, to me, that's just so insane. But so it, it, you call the local cop station or how does it so, work? You know, I was already, I had already looked into the, the gun buyback program that something that was happening in Brooklyn. So I was like, oh, so you, there are these buyback programs. And now that I already had the commitment from my aunt to give, a, give up the guns and safely surrender them, I thought the challenge was really just finding out how, to, how does this happen? So the first thing I did, of course, is go, to the, go online. And, and what I learned is that you call up the police. To, well, there's a couple of different ways, but one of them is to just call up the 
the non-emergency number for your local sheriff's department or your police department and let them know that you'd like to give up your gun, your firearms, your Uzi, whatever it is. And they can either come, they'll either come to your house, which is the preferred method here in Florida, in Broward County and Palm Beach County, is that you just call them and wait for, you know, the patrol car to come and they'll locate the guns, they'll locate the ammunition, or if you have it already stored in a safe place, you can just point it out to them and they'll take it away. They'd rather you not have your hands on the firearms. Hmm. But you can also voluntarily just drive up to a police station and don't, don't have the guns on your person, but go in there and let them know that you would like to surrender your firearms. You know, and it's, it seems like there isn't a cohesive like national policy on how this happens in most states you can bring it bring them to a police station or call to have it surrendered and you don't have to identify yourself you have and that's what was happening here in brooklyn and and in queens in, in the last few weeks is that it was a no questions asked you just showed up with a gun you gave it up you know it doesn't mean that they're not going to go through all of the firearms and see if they were part of some kind of criminal investigation some kind of criminal act, but they won't be able to trace it back to the person that, that returned the gun or the firearm. Um, But that's not true in all of the States. Yeah. I mean, to me, it makes sense. You know, you are much more likely to reduce the number of weapons that are available in the country. If we don't force people to give up their IDs when they're trying to, when they're trying to do this, you know, because there were so many reasons for you not wanting to be identified. I mean, you know, you could be taking guns away from, a domestic abuser, for example, right. you know, you could be taking guns away from a family member who's suffering from a mental health issue, you know, or it could be somebody, I mean, who knows? There's a million ways you could have just found a gun. I mean, there's th- 360 million plus guns in this country, you know, guns yeah. are everywhere. So the more we can do to get rid of them, the better. So so there's this Uzi, you get in touch with the local cop station. You're like, I need to get this Uzi out of my aunt's house. And he's like, all right, well, then you just call when you're ready. And as soon as a patrol car is available, we'll send somebody out. So it could be an hour. It could be 24 hours. Right. Okay. Now, when you say them, there was more guns than just this Uzi? Yes. So my, my uncle is a former law enforcement. So, you know, he's had guns his whole life. He He had handguns and there was ammunition around the house. And in fact, when I, after he did pass away, you know, he was buried on a Sunday. By Monday, I went to the house to help my aunt, you know, clean up and just sit with her. And she said to me, "Um, while you're looking around the house, if you see any more guns, let me know. So she didn't even know where they all were. Or how many guns there were in the house. Yes. Wow. And then where's the ammunition? I mean, it's terrifying. So I did find a bag of ammunition in a back room. I found a handgun inside of a sock on top of the dresser. I don't know if it was loaded or not. Wow. The funeral was on a Sunday and I had planned to on Monday to call the police. Again, I thought she was already, you know, we had already gone through the hard part. She was committed to giving back these firearms. However, right after the funeral, my cousin brought his mom back home to sit with her and take care of her, but he also removed all of the guns from the house. 
specifically the Uzi that he was so looking forward to inheriting. Wow. It had been on his mind. He had already, when, when our uncle got sick, he was already planning to go and get the Uzi. Wow. I can't imagine yeah. having an Uzi in my house or a gun loaded in a sock. Yeah. It's terrifying to me. This is such a typical story. You're hearing about guns that are laying around a house, you know, so these guns can get, they can get stolen. They'd go missing. People don't know that, you know, people pass on and then nobody's left to know where these guns are. And then these guns, especially now, because we're in COVID times and everybody is flat broke and unemployment is out the roof. Guns are worth money. People sell guns. Yeah. You know, next thing you know, you've got, you know, this influx of guns into the city, you know, where we already have laws that are trying to stop that happening. And we're seeing a 200% uptick in gun violence in New York City this summer compared to last year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, when I, when I showed up the day after the funeral um, and heard that the gun was, that the guns were already taken, um, I felt really defeated in that moment. I, I hadn't even planned for, I just didn't think that was possible it's it's not even 24 hours later you know and she she had already made the commitment to return the firearm so um it it, it felt really hard but yeah. there was there was really nothing I could do at that point besides maybe have a conversation with my cousin and fortunately that night he did come over for dinner to be with all of us and we, we did, we talked about it and I wasn't really sure how he was going to take, how to take it. Cause he's really fond, really fond of them. Um, and so, you know, when we were sitting down talking, you were trying, you know, just trying to be casual. His mom's there. She's grieving. I didn't want to start trouble, right. but, but there's always the good trouble. Right. That's so we're true. just talking about, you know, COVID and with, with that and you know of course it brings up politics and there was the end to, to talk about it um and so he he had you know I, I said something like you know with the way that things are going who would you prefer to be our president thinking that there might be a civil war he goes oh well definitely trump <laughs> it's like trump will make you feel safer he goes well i've got all my guns and all my friends have their guns so if those rioters come and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> stop yeah. right there. You're talking about rioters, but that's not really what's happening. Like I'm, you know, those are my, my people are the protesters. You know, we're talking about the protesters. And he said, but Dana, what do you think? One gun is really going to make a difference. You're going to this gun from me and it's going to make a difference. I said, it only took one gun to can kill 17 people in Parkland. Oh, man. Just one. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's the battle that we're all facing now is, you know, you can, you can say, you know, guns aren't safe. And I can say that to my cousin. They're not safe. To me, that's a weapon of murder. That's just a, that's, that's a tool of murder. That's not something that you just carry around like, like your phone. Um, but for him, the law is on his side. He has a concealed carry permit. He inherited the guns lawfully you know so we're you know we at gays against guns and then you know patty and manny oliver are and fred gutenberg they're working so hard 
to make sure that we are safe and it's because of their loss. And yeah. you know, the one thing that they've both that I heard I've heard them both say is I wish I had taken up this action before I lost my kids. Oh. And I think that's our job now is to keep pressing the laws and make sure that we do have stricter gun laws in these southern states like you said like keeping you know, keeping the guns out of out of the hands of anyone who's willing to use it against another person. Nice. I and mean, here we have these militia now that are coming up and weaponizing themselves. It's it's just frightening right now. It's terrifying, yeah. I mean, I think this story and thank you so much for sharing it with our listeners. I think what one thing that this makes me think about is why is there an automatic right of inheritance for firearms? Mm-hmm. I can understand that your uncle was a, a, a police officer, worked in law enforcement, and you know had gone through all the due process to legally own these weapons, including an Uzi, which I have an issue with. But, but that does not necessarily mean that that person's child or spouse should automatically inherit these weapons. They haven't gone through these processes. They haven't gone through the training that a law enforcement officer would, you know. They haven't got a license for the guns. I mean... Yeah, so as soon as... Yeah, I think as soon as somebody already has their conceal and carry permit, they're eligible to have a transfer of this this property. And that's how my cousin sees it. And that's how many people across this country see these firearms. These are possessions. These are our family heirlooms. These are memories. There's a real sentimentality that are attached to the way guns are transferred and handed over and used as a bonding mechanism between parents and children and grandparents and their children. 40,000 dead in this country every year from guns. And a lot of those are suicides. This is the other thing that's really crazy. Mm -hmm. So however your cousin feels about owning the gun, who knows who's going to get their hands on that gun, you know? Yeah. There's two thirds of gun deaths in this country are suicides. And the reason that that number is so high is because there are so many guns. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it really is very powerful um, the way that Gaze Against Guns humanizes each one of these victims. Um, I think it's the one way that we're able to connect and think this is a life. And yeah. not only is this life gone, but there's a whole family left behind that is is struggling. And so even though I didn't come out with the outcome I had hoped, um, the conversation has started in my family. You know, my cousin for sure has his weapons and he's very proud of them. You know, thankfully he doesn't have an heir to pass that along to. So maybe there is, you know, something that good that will come of it. I am Brooklyn Borough President Everett Adams, and one of the organizations I have such a great deal of respect for is the group Gays Against Guns. Your advocacy always on point. It doesn't matter if we're rallying together in Times Square or if we're on the corner of Utica Avenue standing up against gun violence, you continue to show that when a bullet leaves the barrel of the gun, it does not discriminate on who is going to hit. It takes the life of a gay person, a straight person, a black person, a white person, and you continue to be the voice of why we must protect all human beings. And I, I am proud to call you an ally and a friend. 
Thank you, Gays Against Guns. Well, that's about all we have time for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening. To find out more about Gays Against Guns, find us on Instagram, on Facebook, that's Gays Against Guns NY, or on Twitter, GagNoGuns, or GaysAgainstGuns.net. Do consider becoming a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. We know you're listening every week, and we can sure use the help right now. And we are going to sing you out with our political singing queer test, Sing Out Louise. Something that you can do Get out the blue